This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. So we're going to conclude our Christmas message. And I'd like to read from Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 22 to 25. I'm going to read it out of the Passion. So if you don't have your Bible with you, it's okay. Just, Just listen. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness. In the Aramaic, it says sweetness in action. A life full of virtue or kindness. Faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit, which is basically the lordship of spirit in your life. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus Christ have already experienced crucifixion. For everything connected with the self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. If the Spirit is the source of our life, we must also allow the Spirit to direct every aspect of our lives. Christmas is one of those holidays that comes around every year. It's a recurring event. Every year, 25th of December, everybody hands over gifts. Everybody spends that time doing Christmas stuff. There are things that happen in our lives, acts that we engage in. It might be, call it rituals, maybe we call it traditions, actions, whatever it might be. But they're things that come around with a sense of regularity. And every time we engage in them, it's a natural act, it's a natural action. But it's consequential because it carries with it spiritual implications. Every time you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. It's a natural action. When we partake of communion, we're doing something in the natural. But it has spiritual implications. With whatever frequency you participate in that, you're participating in something that is natural. The bread and the wine is what you're in consuming and what you, you're participating in. But the implications are spiritual. What he's doing is he's saying to you, I want to remind you of the death. It's important to remember the death because the death paid the price for your salvation and for your healing and for your deliverance and for your freedom. So every time you participate in something which is natural, the invitation is to realize the significance of what it's representing to us and to participate in the spiritual action that is behind it. It carries consequence. It's weighty. Are you with me? <laughs> this, isn't, this, isn't a, this isn't heavy. This is a good one, I promise. Okay. When we come to Christmas, Christmas is something that we celebrate on an annual basis. Christmas is something that we participate in. And one of the things that most represents Christmas is gift giving. We give gifts. Why do we give gifts? Because it's a way for us to express our love for somebody else and for them to experience that and to participate in that and for them to get some joy and happiness, which we get a lot of satisfaction from. It's natural stuff we do. But Christmas is consequential because it has a spiritual implication. It rolls around every year, and the implication and the importance of Christmas is it's speaking to us about the divine providence of God. 
It's speaking to us about something that happened and something, an event in history that was designed to have implications that are spiritual in nature. As long as we just approach Christmas from a humanistic perspective, we, use, we lose all the spiritual implications to it. It was important because prophecy, prophecy foretold of a Messiah that was to be born. It spoke about Jehovah, who was going to manifest himself as Emmanuel. Jehovah, the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, was going to make a plan to come and present himself to us as God with us. Emmanuel. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is consequential because it has far-reaching implications in terms of our relationship with God. At that moment when Emmanuel was born and God came and God lived with us, in that moment and in that time, something happened. It was the end of one book and the start of a new one. Have a look in your Bible. The Old Testament ends. It was the end of the book. It wasn't a continuation of the Old Testament. It wasn't taking the Old Testament and what the Old Testament was about and giving a reinvention of it. It closed the book on the Old Testament and it opened a new book called the New Testament. It was all about the way that you used to deal with God and the way that you understood God and the way that you used to relate to God. The book has been closed. And now we step into a new book. And all of a sudden, the means of relating to and interacting with and getting to understand and know God has changed. Because all of a sudden, I move to a place where it's not God up there somewhere. Suddenly, it's God with me. The old covenant was finished. And the new covenant was being established. It has implications for us because it speaks about the way that we are relating to God and the way that he wants to relate to us. You see, when Jesus was on earth and he was moving around and he was walking around, there were still people who never recognized the fact that the dispensation had changed. We were no longer living in the old dispensation. We were living in a new one. And as a result of it, it demanded something new from us. But because they didn't recognize what God was doing, they got stuck in the temple. And they were so busy in the temple trying to understand God that they never made an intentional decision to position themselves in his presence where they got to experience God. We have the opportunity to change the way that we relate to God. God is not calling us to a place. And God is not calling us To live from our understanding of him. God is calling us to live from our enjoyment of him. I want to speak this morning about enjoying Christ. Enjoying Christ. We can spend our lives trying to understand God. But it's futile. Stick with me because I've got to take you through process. I promise you at the end of it, you'll say that I was right. right. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. It's not possible for the mind to comprehend the things of God because they are spiritually revealed. Anytime we're trying to understand God, you're trying to use something that was created to try and understand the creator. It doesn't happen. He's never called us to understand him. He's called us to encounter him. That's right. Come on. 
Encountering God requires something that understanding doesn't. Proximity. I don't have to have proximity to try and understand somebody. I can get wherever I want. I can have whatever distance between God and I because I'm understanding God. But if you want to know him, if you want to experience him, you have to have proximity. We're called to intimacy with God. The reason that we're called to intimacy is because what he's saying is, I want you to encounter me. I want you to experience me. I don't want you to live from your knowledge of me. The scriptures were written by people across the spectrum. Simple freshmen, uneducated, who spent their days in a very elementary profession, catching fish. All the way up to very astute and educated people. But you know what the scriptures are all about? They speak to us about Jesus, but more importantly, what they are is a revelation and a testimony of my life with him. The New Testament is not designed to be a piece of prose or a piece of English literature that we begin to dissect and cut into little pieces so that we can understand it. It was designed to be something which is a revelation and a testimony to my life encountering him. It was written by people across the board who who were talking about the fact that when I encountered God, my life changed. It was designed to be something that was inspirational for generations to come. So that people down the ways could read about a God who moved into my life and changed me. And because of who he is, and because of his life on the inside of me, I moved into dimensions of experience and realms of living that I would never have been able to do if it wasn't for him. It was all about him coming in and doing something. The intention was to build up on the inside of people a passion. You don't get passionate about your learning. You get passionate about your encounter. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Do you know what he was saying? He was setting the boundary. And he was sitting saying, I need for you to understand what you're capable of doing and where that boundary ends. And I need for you to understand that if you're wanting to walk into the realm of God and if you're wanting to experience the things of God, I'm to be the source of your life. You can do nothing without me. It's so important. Don't forget that. You can do nothing without him. He's not calling you to try and be holy. He's not calling you to try and do good works. He's not calling you to try and manifest and replicate his fruit. He's calling you to a recognition of the fact that there is a boundary in my life. And in this space, I can live. But if I want to live and move and have my being in him, if I want for him to be the source of my life, I've got to step over that boundary. And then I'm in his territory. No longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. There is a change that happens when you cross the boundary. You can do nothing without me. But when you step over the line, you discover something. I can do all 
down the gauntlet because what he's saying to us is this I want you to come to a place where you understand that I am the foundation to your life I am the foundation to everything well if we say that and we believe that We have to recognize the fact that I have to have him in my life because he's not calling me to do anything. He's calling me to live from a new place. He's calling me to live from a new place. The implication of that is this. He's not calling us to live from believing that. He's calling us to live from accepting him as truth. Doctrinally, we can believe it's truth. But because you believe it's truth is not the same as the presence of truth indwelling me. Inhabiting me. There is a difference between what I believe and what inhabits me. What he's saying is, what you believe is not as important as the foundation of your life. The fundamentals of what constitutes the very basis of your being. He's not talking about a a, a philosophy. He's not talking about a doctrine. He's talking about himself. What he's saying is, I'm not interested in what you think about me. I want to take who I am and I want that to be revealed to you. It's about the indwelling of Christ on the inside of me. You see, he wants us to live from a new dimension. It's a spiritual dimension. It's not a natural dimension. The thing is, anytime I want to build my life, I'm building the way that I want to construct my life and how I want to live. And he says, I'm not calling you to that. I'm calling you to live from a higher dimension. Christ in me. Not what you believe. But him actually living and dwelling and resident on the inside of who I am. Come on. There's a big shift and a change that happens. A transformation. Old things have passed away. And now I'm introducing you to what all things have become new look like. It's not left up to me to define what all things are new means. He is all things new. I am to discover in Him all things new. What does that look like for me? What is the foundation of my life going to look like? Because from the root develops the fruit. What He's saying is, when you discover me, and when you live from that place, you encounter who He is. Come on. fruit of the spirit of love do you know what he's talking about he's talking about himself what he's saying is 
you want to get to know me, this is who I am. I am the spirit of love. And you know what? When you come and you encounter the spirit of love, something's going to begin to happen on the inside of you. When you come to that place where the actual love is deposited inside of you, not as a concept, not as a thought, not as an understanding, but as an experiential reality. He's inside of me. And his nature of love is on the inside of me. And as it begins to work inside of me, and as it begins to manifest itself, I start to discover things about him that I didn't know. It's not just because I knew he was joy, but I begin to experience this joy on the inside of me. It begins to change me. It begins to inform me. It begins to influence my disposition to life and the way that I see things and the way that I see people. And circumstances take on different perspectives. Why? Because he's doing something inside of me. The very life of Christ, which is inhabiting me, is beginning to grow and nurture and bear fruit. The virtues of Christ are not separate from Christ. It is him. He doesn't come to you and give you joy. He doesn't come to you and give you peace. He doesn't look at you and say, you're in need of a little bit of goodness. He says, I am all that you need. And when I came into that place, I came in with my fullness. And when you become aware of and sensitive to and when you position yourself with proximity intimacy I need to get to know who you are what ends up happening is I put myself in a place where I begin to realize the life that's inside of me he doesn't need for you to grow it you are not the life he is he wants you though to develop an awareness of the divine presence living inside of you. Come on now. Christ living in me and moving in me begins the process of revealing and manifesting. When he begins to work on the inside of me, what ends up happening is he opens up aspects to who he is. And he reveals things to me and he says, let me surprise you. This is peace. And I begin to experience a dimension of him that I may not have known before. I understood that he was peace and I heard that he was peace and I heard that, that the God of peace was with I knew about the peace but I didn't experience the peace wow. he didn't call you to live by your understanding he called to live you to live from your proximity to him my enjoyment of who he is you see when you walk into and you begin to experience that peace He's revealing an aspect of who he is to me. Christ in me, revealing something of who he is and what he's all about. And the thing about it is, I only get to experience what he reveals. 
You can know stuff. It's not about your knowledge. It's not about your understanding. It's about life. That's an important boundary to grow. It's why our understanding is not important in the economy of God. Because you can understand life, it doesn't mean it is life. He didn't call you to try and understand what he's about. He called you to the enjoyment of who he is. In him I live and move and have my being. He's alive inside of me, living and growing. And when he reveals an aspect of who he is, and I begin to partake of that and I begin to experience that, then I move to the place, after the fact, I begin to have an appreciation and a degree of understanding about what I've walked into. It's not because I had an idea of what God is and it created the climate for it. It's because I moved into proximity and I moved into relationship and I encountered who he was. And after the fact, I could sit and say, I've been touched by him. I realize who he is and I understand his peace. Not because I understand it, because I experienced it. Here's the radical thought. (coughs) That's not it. (coughs) Here's the radical thought. The reason you're not called to live from your understanding of Christ, but you are called to live from the life of Christ, is because understanding doesn't move mountains. Christ moves mountains. You want to be a mountain mover? It's not going to come through your understanding. It's not going to come through your knowledge. Your understanding and your knowledge never did anything to gain the victory. He did. He did. It's because of who he is that he can walk into that space. It's because of the authority that he carries that when he speaks, the storm gets still. What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. They don't obey me and they won't obey you. They obey him. Your knowledge of Christ isn't going to move a mountain. Christ is going to do it through you. And if you don't have that established on the inside of you, and if I don't live in from that place where he is the foundation of my life, I don't walk into mountain-moving faith. Faith is not something that I generate. Faith is not my belief or my understanding. Faith is the very nature of God, living and pulsating. It's the vitality of his nature alive on the inside of me. It's God living in the boat of my life, where it's like I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not trying to muster up the trust. I'm not trying to put together every kind of confidence that I need that it'll happen. It's because I know who he is. And he's in my boat. And he might be asleep. Because you know what? He's full of peace. The storm doesn't bother him. It bothers you. You can't deal with him sleeping in the boat. Don't you understand I'm drowning? Don't you understand? And he says, what are you so worried about? I told you we're going to the other side. 
take your eye of Christ. Your boat is going to go through storms. But you can end up in trouble when you take your eyes off him and you look at the waves. Your confidence and your peace, your joy, your strength, your authority, your overcoming, and your victory all come from Christ in my boat. Nothing outside of that. If you don't know him, if I've never experienced him, where I know him to be my peace, it will tear you apart. So he says something interesting. He says, everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. If this spirit is the source of our life, we must also allow the spirit to direct every aspect of our lives. The first part is quite interesting. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. You know what the good news is in that? It doesn't matter what you're dealing with today. You may be a person who's struggling with depression. And depression has got a hold on you. But what he's saying to you is this. Your depression has been crucified with Christ. You are not going to be victorious over your depression, but he is. What he's saying is, those things that might hold you, and those things that are keeping you captive, my emotions that speak and that govern my life, those feelings and those sentiments of anger, the depression that I'm experiencing, the unhappiness that I'm going through, all of those things do not have dominion over you anymore. What he's saying to you is this, the opportunity exists for you to recognize that all of that stuff has been crucified with him. He paid the price so that he came out victorious. You can't change it, but he can. You can't change it, but he can. That is the good news. Too many people feel they're trapped in what they're going through. Too many people feel as though they're in bondage to what they're experiencing. Too many people feel as though who I am and what I'm all about, I can't climb out of this stuff. And it's defining who I am. And he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Christ has set you free. Not me. It's not a self-help scheme. It's not changing the way that I think about stuff. It's moving into relationship with the victor and the one who has authority over all things. That's what changes everything. He has such a problem with the self-life. What he's saying to you is the self-life has to die. Ah! The self-life has to die. What is he talking about? Why is it so consequential in God's economy that the self-life die? 
thought about it. It's big in his world. It's really big. Actually, it's the hurdle that stops many Christians from ever experiencing who he is. If I can't deal with my self-life, I never walk to what he's invited me into. Why? Since Rafa asked. I'm going to say something that's a little bit radical. Take a deep breath. Say it's for all the people who are visiting family today. Let me explain it. And you'll find that you'll agree with me. The etymology of the word atheist comes from a, meaning without, and theist, meaning God. That which is without God. It's atheist. The self-life is atheist in nature and idolatrous. Let me explain what I mean. The self-life says this. I am going to create my world according to what I think and how I feel and what I believe and what I'm all about. I plays a big part in all of this stuff. The challenge with it is this. You are in the world, but you're, not to be, but you're called not to be of the world. Be not conformed, but be made new. Don't look like the nature of the world. You're to look like the nature of Christ. The challenge with it is, I've spent my life growing up in the world. I've spent my life exposed to a broken nature. A nature that come to steal, kill, and destroy from me. And what's ended up happening as a result of that, I've been banged around a little bit by life. And I've been bashed around a little bit by relationships. And I've got some baggage in the trunk. And I've got a whole bunch of stuff. And I've got a whole bunch of scars that I'm carrying around with me. And I've allowed all of my exposure to the world to begin to influence who I am and it's given me a warped perspective on life and of people because it's very nature comes from the world so what ends up happening is when I use who I am to define the foundation of my life what I'm doing is I'm using the world's nature to give definition to who I am there is nothing of God in that it's all about me and it's using building material that is designed to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm building my world from that. And you know what? When I build my world from that, because of my history, because of my damage, because of my dysfunction, the way that I see life makes so much sense to me. But it's skew. And it's crooked. And it leads me to destruction and unhappiness. And I live a self-fulfilling prophecy. You see, when I walk through the orchards of my life and I have a look at the fruit of my life, it's like, you know what? This is exactly what I thought my world would be. Look what it looks like. It looks like that because your root is like that. You've established your life in something that has no life of Christ. It is without theism, without Christ. It has no significance to who he is. And he looks at that and he says, there's no place for me in that world. Wow, come on. It's atheist in nature. It is without God. Wow. So good, thank you. It's not only atheist in nature, but it's idolatrous. 
What you worship is what you esteem and what you value. And when you worship something other than God, you create an idol of something. When I worship my opinion and my thoughts and my emotions and how I see things, what I'm doing is I'm creating an idol of who I am. And when you create an idol of who you are, I position myself in a bad place. Because not only am I establishing the foundation of my life in something that is without God, but I'm esteeming my value, my perception, my interpretation of life more highly than what his is. God exists in heaven. But he created a space on earth called the Holy of Holies when they built the temple. The Holy of Holies was a sacred place. And the sacred place was designed intentionally for the presence of God alone. Nothing else went into there. Once a year, the high priest. But the Holy of Holies was for the presence of God. When God created mankind, he created him spirit, soul, and body. And when you get born again, the very life of God comes and lives on the inside of you. But God doesn't want you just be somebody that exists on the inside of you. He wants for you to be able to access him. He wants proximity. He wants relationship. He wants to create a space where I can live from who he is. So he created in your life a place called the Holy of Holies. It's your heart. And when I take my presence and I impart my presence into your heart and I begin to reveal myself to you, it's all of a sudden that's where the nature of love starts to reflect who he is and starts to evidence who he is. And all of a sudden that's where I start to encounter his joy and his peace and his goodness and his faith and his gentleness and his sweetness. It's all of those attributes. Why? Because he created a sacred space within your life, a holy of holies within your life called your heart when you live from the self life you walk into the holy of holies and you redefine that space not according to his presence but according to my wishes that's why God has got such a problem with the self life the good news is he says it's been crucified with Christ you can let go of that stuff if you'll accept him. You can't do it because you want to do it. You do it because I want him to come in and I want his nature to begin to define what that is all about. I want his nature to begin to define that space. I'm looking for his influence. I'm looking for his life. I'm looking for his revelation in those spaces of my life. Why? Because I've moved to a place where I'm beginning to experience who he is. Here is a simple truth, but I'll explain what I mean. The whole is the sum of its parts. The whole is the sum of its parts. Let me explain it this way. If you decided to get a TV dinner, and you bought your TV dinner, and you opened your TV dinner, and you ate it, you would have your chicken, and you would have your potato, 
and you would have your beans and you would have your carrots and you would have your dessert. And you would eat each one of those separate elements individually. And when you had finished all of that, you would sit and say, I ate my TV dinner. You don't sit and say to people, I ate potato and I ate chicken and I ate carrots. When we talk about Christ in me, we're talking about the TV dinner of life. What he's saying is, I want for you to experience. Sometimes we, 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 we grapple to grasp it because it's like, Christ in me, what's that supposed to mean? The fruit of the spirit of love is joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and victory and overcoming. What is he doing? He's sitting saying, I'm going to reveal aspects to who I am. And when you partake of all of those things, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you taste and see that the Lord is good, you will end up at a place where you sit and say, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me and now lives within me. In a very real way, Christ is not looking for you to understand him. He's looking for you to partake of him. He's looking for you to partake of him. As we move forward into this year, I want you to be aware of the fact that your root is more important than your fruit. If you get your root right, the fruit will follow. Don't worry about the orchard of your life. Stop wandering through the orchard looking at this and I don't like that and I want to change this and I'm not happy with that. If you want to change the orchard, you don't change the fruit, you change the root. We have to partake of his nature. It is a nature issue with God. What defines the foundation of your world? God speaks about foundations with regularity throughout scripture and he uses all different kinds of analogies for that. But he speaks about foundation. Build your house on the rock. Get established in him. What is it all about? It's all about his nature. What he's saying is, if you get my root inside of you, everything else will happen. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16 to 18 says, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. One of the hardest things to do is for an apple tree to produce pears. Man, that is hard. It's impossible. Try as it wants. It'll never produce pears. Why? Because it's not about its root. It's not of its root. But if you say to it, man, how about some apples? You you barely have to get the word out and they're popping out all over the place. It's not hard. It's not difficult. I am the vine, you are the branches. What he's saying is, when you start to recognize the fact that his nature is alive on the inside of me, and when I move towards that place where I'm continually moving in a direction where I am emptying my heart of this world, 
and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and clean up the mess and clean up the junk and clean up all of the paraphernalia there that's not of him. What he's doing is he's making room for Christ. He's pushing the junk out of the way. So he's sitting saying, let me reveal something to you. You couldn't see it there because of your unbelief. You couldn't see it there because you were so wrapped up in yourself. You couldn't see it there because you were so caught in your hurt and your pains and your everything else. But let me deal with that stuff so I can push it out of the way. Oh, look what's there. Christ in you. I've just discovered something. Only he can do that. Only he can fix up the mess in our heart to reveal Christ. So we depended on him. But when we begin to live from that root, it's not difficult. It's simple. Because it's not me doing anything. It's me being at a place where I simply let him live through me. Without me, you can do nothing. But if you discover me in your heart... If you're intentional about clearing the spaces and working with the Holy Spirit to clean up the baggage and the hurt and the junk and the dysfunction and the personal opinions and everything else and you get that out of the way, what you'll end up happening do is that you end up allowing the life to grow. You create a space where the light can come in and it begins to grow of itself. You begin to change, not because you're trying to mimic the fruit, but because you're established in the root. That is the life he calls us to. Can we all stand? What's going to make this year a great year is going to be a personal recognition on each of our parts to sit and say, I'm aware of the root and I'm making space for his nature in my heart. Stuff that is at odds with that, clear it out. Stuff that's against it, just sit with the Holy Spirit. You don't need to change your life. He will do that for you. But be intentional about sitting saying, I want to do some stuff, and I know that the only way that that can happen is if he lives his life through me. I live in the expectation and the excitement, the anticipation and the passion of what Christ could do through me. Without me, you can do nothing. But all things are possible to him that believes. Father, I just want to thank you for every person here. I pray for the year ahead, Father. Father, I just want to thank you for the life of Holy Spirit with us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into every person's life right now as they open themselves up to you. As they submit to your influence. I want to thank you, Father. For fertile hearts, 
are full of your word, seeded with life. Life. us focused, Lord, on what it is to live from the greater one being on the inside of who I am. Touch the filter of my life. Influence my disposition. Shift who I am so that who you are begins to change who I am. Let me see with your eyes. Let me hear with your ears. <laughs>